Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, greetings, New Life. It's very good to, uh, to be back from our trip to Malaysia, literally on the other side of the world. Just want to thank you all for your, your prayers and your support. It was a great trip. And uh, we have much to tell about it, but as Shannon said, we're going to reserve that for the missions conference, so we will be there. And if you're interested in hearing more about the trip, we would love for you to, to come and, and hear about it. But uh, um, it was a blessing in, in many, many ways. But we're very thankful for your prayers. Um, <clears throat> Bob just prayed a moment ago about our officer nomination, so I just want to remind you also that we are still taking nominations to the office of elder and deacon. And the deadline for that is March 8th. So that's coming up. And we have thus far one nomination. And that's not enough. So we need more. So uh, be thinking about how you might respond if you're nominated. And please be prayerfully considering who you might nominate to these positions. Nomination forms are at the uh, welcome booth. And again, the deadline is March 8th. Okay, well, <clears throat> we are um, back to our Route 66 sermon series. After a short break for our trip to Malaysia, I want to give thanks to uh, Pastor Brian for filling the pulpit so well for the last three Sundays. Uh, but if you have a Bible with you, open it to the book of Galatians, because that's where we are in this sermon series. This sermon series is taking us all the way through the Bible. We're doing one sermon per Bible book. We started at Genesis and moving our way through the New Testament to Revelation, and we find ourselves now in the letters of Paul, and if you know one thing about Paul, you know that Paul is a theologian. He's a writer of doctrine. Uh, you can't read a letter of Paul without being overcome by doctrine. Now, when I say that word doctrine, some people's eyes light up and they get excited, and other people's eyes kind of glaze over. Uh, for some, doctrine is kind of a bad word and it seems kind of boring, but doctrine is super important for us, friends, because it's through our doctrine that we're able to tell the difference between what is true and what is false, between the true God and the false God. Doctrinal convictions help clarify that for us. Paul, <coughs> Paul writes later in the New Testament, watch your doctrine closely, and Today, we're going to be looking at a particular doctrine here in the New Testament, a doctrine that is so important that you cannot understand Christianity apart from it. So I, I hope that gets your attention if you're a person who has no interest in doctrine. If you don't get this doctrine, I'm not necessarily saying you're not a Christian, but I am saying you will miss the very heart of the gospel. The very nature and essence of Christianity will be somewhat confused in your mind if you don't understand this doctrine that we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> Martin Luther said this about this doctrine, most necessary it is that we should know this doctrine well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. <laughs> <clears throat> and I consider that one of my responsibilities as pastor here at, at this church is to beat doctrine into your head, and in particular, to beat this doctrine 
this morning into your head and you're thinking, what is it? And it is this. It is the doctrine of justification. If there's one doctrine to be beat into your head, this is it. And that's what we're going to talk about here today as we look at the book of Galatians. This doctrine is taught in the book of Romans quite extensively as well. Uh, But today we're in Galatians, author of this book. Again, the Apostle Paul. This is one of, uh, we believe, his earliest letters, written as early as 48 A.D. Um, Not really any events, since it's a doctrinal epistle, so I remove the events category from our description here. Um, But themes would include Paul's statement that there's no other gospel than the one he proclaimed. He speaks a little about the place of the law in the Christian's life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I think many of us are familiar with with that. That's in Galatians. And um, some extended time thinking about the doctrine of justification. So, chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. That's what I'm going to read. You can stand now for the reading of God's word. The situation here is that um, there's a church in Jerusalem, but um, there's another church that's been started in a place called Antioch. Antioch is the uh, place where the mission to the Gentiles began through the leadership of the Apostle Paul. And Peter has come to visit Antioch. And in this passage, there's a description of an encounter that takes place that leads to Paul's description of this great doctrine. So chapter 2, verse 11, says this. But when Cephas, that's referring to Peter, it's just another name for Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. God in heaven, Send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and soften our hearts to behold and receive the wonderful things in this great doctrine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Let's um, begin with something just very simple because uh, some of you may have never heard of this doctrine before. Others maybe have heard this word thrown around a lot, but if I were to ask you how to define it, you you might hesitate a little bit. Uh, I wonder what comes to mind when I think. How would you define this doctrine? How would you explain justification? Well, let's let's begin by explaining justification. Justification explained. Let me just read verse 16 again, because here's where Paul talks about 
this doctrine. He says, we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We're going to unpack that just a, a little bit. But um, <clears throat> before that, let me set this up by telling you a little story about our trip actually coming back from Malaysia. We were flying from Tokyo to Chicago and um, <clears throat> got on the plane and we were uh, about an hour into the air and Mary was reading her Bible and there were a couple of guys sitting next to us from Montreal and one of them noticed that Mary was reading her Bible and started asking her about it. What are you reading? Very interested in this. Let's talk about this. And he actually changed seats and sat next to Mary and started asking her all sorts of questions and Mary kind of pulled me into it, <clears throat> and um, we began this discussion with this guy, and I'm not exaggerating. The conversation went on for seven hours. <laughs> it was an 11-hour plane flight. Seven hours were spent talking to this guy about the gospel. <laughs> and um, he uh, had lots of very good questions, a very well-read guy. He was very respectful, but definitely not a Christian, um, not quite an atheist, probably more agnostic uh, but, you know, he just had, he had uh, an answer for everything we had to say, pr pretty much. But <clears throat> there was one point where I, I think I got him thinking. And um, I, I said to him, I said, you know, <clears throat> I think everybody has this experience where they behold something beautiful and wonderful about the created order. They just stand in awe of God's creation. They see a beautiful sunset or something that displays the beauty of creation, and they're just in awe and they're captured by that glory. And when they see that, there's this nagging gut feeling that there is a transcendent being behind it all. That instinctively, we all know that when we see the created order. And when we come to know that, it's not just knowing that there's a transcendent being, but it's also knowing that we're accountable to that being. And in addition to that, that things are not quite right between us and that being. And that's something that anyone who thinks carefully about the glory of creation will come to, to conclude. And he, he didn't have anything to say to that. Now, I don't know if it convinced him or if he was uh, persuaded, but it seemed to get him thinking because... That is what the scriptures tell us, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and we all have this instinctive knowledge, not only of God's existence, but the fact that we are separated from him. There's something wrong in our relationship, and what we all want to know is how can we be accepted by this God? Is there any way that this holy, perfect, almighty, great and powerful God would receive us into his presence? with all that we've done and all the ways we've disappointed him, with all the sin and regrets and shame and guilt that we have. Is that possible? This is something that everyone longs to know. Many have suppressed it, but at some level, everyone wants to know this. The New York Times had an article a little while ago saying that while religion is in decline, guilt is as powerfully present as ever among people. No more religion, but everybody's dealing with this nagging sense of guilt. We long to be justified before God. That's what this doctrine addresses. How is it possible that we can know that this God would receive us? Okay, so <clears throat> there are really two ways that that can happen. Two ways for you to be justified. 
Here's the first option. Justification by your obedience. Okay, that is you can, you can read the Ten Commandments and see everything that the Ten Commandments command you to do and you can go out and do them all. Okay, so you have no other gods before you. You love God more than anything else in your life. Don't ever say any kind of slanderous thing about anybody. Don't covet, don't ever desire and long for something that somebody else has. Observe the Sabbath perfectly. Obey those laws, not only that, but the ceremonial laws as well. Observe the dietary laws. Get circumcised, because that's what Paul has in mind in this passage. Do all those things and do them all the time for the rest of your life. Okay? So, pronounce the benediction and, and off you go. Out into your lives to obey God's law perfectly the rest of your life. I mean, that, that's an option. If you can do that, you'll be justified. <laughs> but you can't do that. And I can't do that. And, and that's what Paul says right here in verse 16. <coughs> Yet we know a person is not justified by works. And in case you don't get it, if you kind of scoot down to the end of the verse, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. You see what Paul is doing here? He's beating this into your head with repetition three times in one verse. There is no justification by your obedience to the law. You can't do it. The standard's too high. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. So that's a, a foolish route to take in terms of seeking justification and acceptance before God. But the good news is that there's another option. There's justification by Christ's obedience. There's justification through Christ. So here's what Paul says. We know a person's not justified by works of the law, but there's another option. Through faith, in Jesus Christ, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works. So three key phrases or words here that we need to think about regarding justification. The first one is faith. We're justified through faith. Now we have to be careful. We understand what we mean here by, by faith. When you see the word faith, don't think of faith as some kind of force within you that you have to kind of manufacture to be strong enough in order for God to justify you. That's the way a lot of people think of faith. They, they think as if, if God is evaluating how strong our faith is, and if we're weak in faith, well, that's not good enough. But if we're strong enough, then God will justify us. That just turns faith into another kind of work. That's not what faith is intended to do in this case, faith is a, it's a vessel, it's, it's a means by which what Jesus has done can be received. Faith is just open hands that you bring to God to receive what he is offering in the gospel. John Murray says it like this, it's not actually faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. Do you see the difference? It's not your faith that saves you. Your faith doesn't save you. Christ saves you, and you receive Christ through faith. <laughs> Very important to understand the difference so that you're not laboring under this guilt of not having enough faith. John Calvin says, 
It's like how a crammed pot full of money makes a man rich. The pot is worth very little, right? It's what's inside the pot. It's the money that makes the man rich, not the faith, not the pot, not the pot. And the pot is like faith in that example in that it is simply the means by which we receive the wealth that Jesus has to offer to us in the gospel. That's faith. But it's also faith in Jesus Christ. There's a certain object in which we place our faith. We don't place our faith in our parents or in ourselves or in political leaders. No, faith is placed in Jesus Christ because he is the one who has obeyed the law on our behalf. He has submitted to all the requirements of God's law, and he has gone to the cross. He's paid the penalty for all of our failures to obey the law. He is the Lamb of God. He is the only righteous one on whom there is no blemish found on his lips. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, and the only one worthy of your faith when you think about being justified before God. John Stott says this, the value of faith is not to be found in itself, but entirely in its object, namely Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the third key word then is justified. When you place faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the result, according to this verse 16, is that you will be justified. We have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? It's just very simply this. It's to be declared not guilty before God's law. You place faith in Jesus, and no matter how much your sins over the years have compounded and built up with faith in Jesus, and through that act alone, God says, you sinner are not guilty in my sight. All of those ways you've disobeyed the law, Yes, it's true, but you're not guilty. It's a declaration that God makes. Think of it as the opposite of condemn. If someone is condemned, that statement of condemnation doesn't make that person evil. It's a statement about the person. It says, because the person is evil, I'm making this statement that that person should be condemned. But to say the person is condemned doesn't change anything inside the person, does it? It's a statement about the person. He's worthy of condemnation. Justification is similar, except in the other way. Justification doesn't actually change anything inside you. Now, that happens later through the power of the Holy Spirit, through sanctification and growth in grace, yes, But that's a different thing. We're talking about justification. In the doctrine of justification, it's merely God's judicial assessment of you where he declares you not guilty through faith alone. Not because you're trying hard, not because you're religious, not because you belong to a PCA church, but through faith. So those are your two options, friends. You can either seek to justify yourself by obeying the law or you can put your faith in Jesus. Those are the only two options. So what's it gonna be? Which is it? Because this is the central issue you need to wrestle with when you think about whether you're a Christian or not, or whether you wanna be a Christian or not. This is the point where people are converted when they get this, when they realize, hmm, I guess I'm not good enough, I guess I can't do enough, 
I guess all my efforts to please God are actually still leaving me under his condemnation, so I guess I've got to hope in someone else. And Jesus is the only one who is sufficient for that cause. When you come to realize that, that's, that's when the lights go on. That's when you know you're a Christian. And it all revolves around this, this doctrine, justification. So that's justification explained. Now there's more to talk about here in this text because there's justification forgotten. <laughs> that is sometimes we, we come to believe it and understand it, but then in our daily life we forget it. You know, there's a difference between knowing a doctrine and living out its implications. There's a difference between the two, and that's where Peter here failed. He was an apostle. He certainly knew and understood the doctrine of justification, but he forgot it, and it affected the way he lived on the ground. So let me try to explain this here to you. Verse 12, Paul says that he noticed that Peter was eating with the Gentiles. Now, what's the big deal with that? Well, here's the big deal. Because G Jews and Gentiles never did that. <laughs> Jews and Gentiles would never eat together. They would never have table fellowship together because Jews considered Gentiles to be dirty dogs. That's the word that they would use. Jews were considered to be pure and holy and righteous. They were God's people, Gentiles, unrighteous, unholy, impure, not God's people, and they had no connection with one another. They were prohibited from having fellowship and certainly from eating together. But then the gospel goes out and it reaches the Gentiles and the Gentiles hear about this Savior Jesus who has come to live and die and be resurrected from the grave and these Gentiles place faith in that Savior which a lot of Jews refused to do, but the Gentiles did it. And so, by placing faith in Jesus, independent of how well they'd obeyed the law, which they didn't even have, they were justified and accepted and saved. And so Peter comes to realize this, and he says, hmm, Gentiles, they're saved by placing faith in Jesus. I'm saved by placing faith in Jesus, faith alone. I guess I'm no better than them. At some point, that must have occur occurred to Peter. I I'm no better than them. As a Jew, I'm not better than a Gentile. So you know what that means? I can sit down and have a meal with them. And in that day, to have a meal with somebody was a little more significant than today. It was a sign of acceptance. It was a more profound sign of fellowship. So it's a beautiful thing, right? Neither male nor female, slave nor free, nor Jew nor Gentile, all are one in Christ. And that's what Peter got, and so he was eating with the Gentiles. But then something happened. Verse 12, again. Certain men came from James, it says. James is in Jerusalem. So there's a group coming from the Jerusalem church. And at the end of verse 12, Paul calls them the circumcision party. So these were, these were professed Christians from Jerusalem who came and denied justification by faith alone. And here's what they said, that a person needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now, Gentiles wouldn't have been circumcised. They'd placed faith in Jesus, but they hadn't been circumcised. And so the circumcision party were saying, people were saying, well, okay, it's great that they believe in Jesus, but it's not enough. 
They've got to observe this law and be circumcised. So what they would say is that they were saved not by faith alone, but by faith plus circumcision. Okay, so here's Peter. He's eating with these Gentiles who are not circumcised. He knows this circumcision party is coming, and he starts to think to himself, what are they going to think of me? I'm eating with these dirty dogs. How is this going to affect my reputation as a leader in the church? What are they going to start talking to, uh, saying about me back in Jerusalem? I wonder if they're going to dock my pay. I wonder if I'm going to get fired. He's filled with fear, and that's exactly what it says in verse 12. When they came, he drew back and said, fearing the circumcision party. He became afraid, and what he's doing is he's forgetting justification. The doctrine that he knew falls to the back of his mind. Fear begins to take over, and what does he do? He withdraws. He separates himself, tearing down everything that had been accomplished through the work of the gospel. This dividing wall of hostility that had been torn down, Peter is erecting it right back up by seeing himself now as too good to be with the Gentiles because he sees himself as one who's circumcised when the Gentiles haven't been. Now this can happen a lot today when we forget the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That we are not justified by faith plus anything else. There's nothing added to that to get you into heaven. It's not justification by faith plus the way you practice the mode of baptism. It's not justification by faith plus your skin color. It's not justification plus a heterosexual sexual orientation. It's not justification plus the person you happen to vote for for president in 2016. It's not justification plus your commitment to homeschooling. It's not justification plus any kind of political position that you might hold. It's not justification plus the way you dress or the music you listen to. And in so many circles of the Christian church, many of those things have become reasons for Christians to separate from each other, which is precisely what is making Paul so upset about Peter as he's withdrawing from the Gentiles because he's adding something to justification by faith, forgetting this doctrine. The way Paul describes it is uh, pretty clear in verse 14. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And I would make the point here that I believe Paul is using gospel pretty much interchangeably here with justification as he goes on the next verse to talk about justification. Peter's problem is that he was not living in step with what he proclaimed to believe. And that's the application, and I think the question that all of us need to be asking. How are my convictions about the gospel shaping the way I live? Do I come here on Sunday mornings and proclaim all of these things, recite the Apostles' Creed and speak it out loud and then spend Monday through Saturday forgetting it all? I mean, if that's the way you live, then you're going to be a hypocrite, right? I mean, that's the word that Paul uses in verse 12. 
He stood condemned for certain men from James, even the Gentiles, when they came and drew back himself, the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. They were living in a way out of step with what they proclaimed to believe. I mean, this can happen in a lot of ways when you forget the doctrine of justification. If you forget that you're justified through faith alone, and you begin to get caught up in your good moral behavior, that can only lead to pride. Pride leans to condescension and self-righteousness toward others because you forgot the doctrine of justification by faith. It can lead to a lack of assurance. If you think you're justified by your performance, you think you're never doing enough. And so you're filled with doubt. You don't have any assurance because you've forgotten the doctrine of justification by faith. You can be filled with despair in some cases because your guilt and your shame that God has said has been paid for on the cross and where God has told you in his word that you're not guilty, you're not believing that, you're forgetting that and you're living as if those sins are still hanging over your head and you're filled with shame. Or you can be falling into people-pleasing because you're looking for others to justify you. You're looking for the approval of other people because God's approval of you apparently isn't good enough. And so you want to be justified by your wife or your teacher or your boss or your children. So don't let anybody ever tell you the doctrine is impractical because it's not and your belief in the doctrine of justification will affect all of your ways all of your conduct. So there's one last thing to take a look at here, and it's justification defended. (laughs) Because now we'll see how important this doctrine of justification is to Paul, because what you'll notice here is that he is willing to risk his relationship with Peter, a fellow apostle, one who was an apostle before Paul was, we might note, He's willing to risk that relationship in order to defend the doctrine of justification. Verse 11, look what he does. When Cephas came, that's Peter, I opposed him to his face. So it's a very personal confrontation. But then look at verse 14. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all. So it's not just a personal confrontation, it's a public confrontation. In front of them all, Paul goes to Peter and admonishes him, and and he says here in verse, um, end of verse 14, what he says to him is, "If, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's kind of a mouthful, but I think what he's saying there is, you're a Jew, and Now you're living like a Gentile by acting like the law is still relevant and you still have to be circumcised. So how can you force the Gentiles, the ones who have been freed from that, to now live like Jews, to then submit to these Old Testament commands? He just pointed out the hypocrisy of Peter's conduct. Now imagine here what's happening. I mean, just just think about it. In our hyper-tolerant, non-judgmental culture. It is hard to imagine this ever happening, right? That, that right in the front of the church, some guy would just walk up to another guy and just oppose him right to his face and admonish him and rebuke him. And yet that's what happened here. And we get no indication that there's anything wrong with what Paul did. I think he was 
perfectly right in doing this, and the reason he was right is because something very precious was at stake, the doctrine of justification. And he wanted to make sure that it was defended, and so therefore it was worth this risk. It was worth this very uncomfortable confrontation. You know, we should be thankful for people throughout history who have been willing to do this. A guy named Athanasius in the fourth century was one of the only people around willing to defend Christian orthodoxy against a heresy called Arianism that had almost overtaken the church. And here's this lone African man who stood up and defended the gospel. Martin Luther, we've heard much about him. Same thing against the corrupt doctrine of the Catholic church in the 16th century. Here I stand, Luther, Luther said, alone, making a confrontation stand for the gospel. A guy named J. Gresham Machen in the 20th century, a fighter against liberalism entering into the church. But he was willing to confront. You know, he's probably not a real pleasant guy to hang out with, quite frankly. That's what people have said, you know, he's not the nicest guy. But there are some people who are just gifted in this way and we ought to thank God for them. Because we need those kinds of people at certain times. And Gresham Machen said this, in such times of crisis, God has always saved the church, but he has always saved the church, not by theological pacifists, by people who think that doctrine doesn't matter, but by sturdy contenders for the truth. That was Machen, that was Luther, that was Athanasius, and that was Paul, as he opposes Peter. Now, let's be very careful here. Uh, this is not an excuse for us now to go on the warpath looking for people to confront and get into arguments with. Um, remember these two things. Again, it was a public sin, so, so much so that Barnabas was led astray and others were following Peter. And <coughs> Peter was a public figure who was a leader of the church. And so there was a higher standard of accountability for him than, than might be for others. So we have to be careful how we apply this. Um, yeah, it's not an excuse for you to go looking for somebody who maybe said something that bugged you a little bit, and now you're going to go take them on. That, that's not the idea. Um, but there does come a time when the gospel needs to be defended, and that might mean a, a risk of losing relationships. It, it might mean that you're all alone. Um, but somebody has to do it, and, and Paul did it, and others have. So let me just beat this into your heads one, one more time, Okay. Justification, your acceptance before God, it's, it's not by your works. It's not by your works, it's only by faith in Jesus. It's the only way to be saved. It's the only way to be a Christian. And if you forget this doctrine, it will affect your conduct. It will influence the way you live. And it is a doctrine so precious, let us remember, that it is worth defending because this doctrine is the strong rock and foundation of our faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word and explained the full significance of all that you've done for us in Jesus. And we thank you that there is this option, justification through the obedience of our Savior. Thank you for that. Help us not to forget it. Give us the strength to defend it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.